Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Ferrari is back to winning ways at Le Mans, if not in Formula One. So why can it conquer the toughest 24-hour race at the same time as underachieving so badly in Grand Prix racing? And is there anything it can learn from success at Le Sable? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Sam Smith. Well, Sam, we'll have to welcome you first. Your first appearance on the Race F1 podcast, obviously obviously listeners to bring back V10s to our Formula E podcast will be very familiar with you but finally a debut in F1. Well it's all part and parcel of my Le Mans rehab Ed. Um, Yeah still getting back to operating temperature after last week an absolutely huge week for endurance racing. 320,000 people at Le Mans and this kind of fairy tale victory for Ferrari on their return after after 40, uh, sorry, 50 years away from the top class and uh, 58 years on from their 1965 triumph. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of great stuff last weekend and it's going to be interesting to, to dovetail it with some of your, your F1 pointers, I think. Yeah, certainly. Watching from afar as I wasn't at them on this year, it did seem to be even more excited and big and just better than ever before which is quite something because Le Mans is a hell of an event even in the the fallow years Le Mans is a, is a fantastic event and Scott Mitchell Malm you followed a bit of Le Mans as well so you've been getting some uh, some fever from afar as well yeah I've um I've, I've always had a soft spot for Le Mans since I think I worked four in a row um about starting 10 years ago now but so since I've been covering Formula E and then Formula One I haven't um, basically I've been too lazy to go back in between doing everything else but this year with obviously Ferrari coming back and they're just being a, I don't want to do them a disservice for the last few years but like a proper top class again uh, I really wanted to, to to follow it so I think I, I actually sat down and, and watched I don't know maybe three or four hours of of the race and tried to tried to follow it from afar um, when I was out and about as well just getting updates on on, on my phone just to see where things were at. Um, it's the benefit of um, manufacturers. Uh, I, I don't believe that any championship really needs manufacturers to, to be a success in, in in certain ways. But when when you're um, a casual fan and you see big names, you know, brands that you're familiar with, brands that you're curious to see how they get on going into something, it's really, really enticing. So I think for that... Um, for that reason alone, what what WEC have done, getting the likes of Ferrari, Peugeot, etc., um, back back in at, at the top levels, are amazing. So yeah, it was very interesting to follow it from afar. Um, although uh, the less I say, probably at this stage, about um, balance of performances is, is the better. Well, let's get into our main topic now, Sam. For those who perhaps haven't followed Ferrari's return to the top class of endurance racing closely, can you explain how it all works? Given it's not actually run by Scuderia Ferrari itself, and there is Delara involvement, for example. So, how does it all work? Yeah, it's it's a bit of a committee in a way. Um, Delara build the tubs and have um, some other technical parameters that they they're involved in with the project with the four nine nine 
P. Ferrari's Centro Stile Studios do did the aerodynamics um, and some other aspects of the um, the vehicle dynamics of the car as well. AF Corsa, who are a long-time Ferrari um, operations runner um, and entrant with Ferrari GT cars, they look after the logistics and the operations of the whole squad. Uh, you've got Fernando Canizzo, who's the ex-head of Aero at the F1 team, heading up the, the technical side as the design and development at the Attivita Sportive arm of Ferrari. And you've got Antonello Coletta, uh, sporting activities manager. He's ex-40 Corsa and Peugeot. So you've got this these kind of constituent parts which are coming together to, to run this, um, this, this factory program. And it's, I suppose, in the essence of... of sports car racing or modern sports car racing it's it's kind of no different to um projects that that audi ran and audi had lots of different partners um lots of different outsourcing uh, and peugeot to some extent as well so it's not it's not different to the other factory teams that have run recent projects but i think to call it a hundred percent ferrari factory program is is not quite accurate but it's pretty close it's um to put it in an f1 context for maybe people that are more familiar with it from this side it's it's not the same but you look at like for for example Mercedes F1 team it's not really Mercedes is it it's the you know the team's not run out of uh, out, out of Germany the engine's not built in Germany it's a it's a bespoke racing organization that runs under the Mercedes name and Mercedes owns a stake in that team and historically has put into that team quite a significant amount of investment so I, I certainly wouldn't have a pro I don't have a problem with it being called Ferrari in 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 the WEC it's not like um I'll use another example in WEC Sam can correct me if this is unfair but I don't really see Van Wall as a particularly engaged uh, hypercar entrant <laughs> Uh, no, that's that's definitely one for another episode. Such are the complexities of Colin Collis's, uh, yeah, situation and, and makeup of that team there. But uh, yeah, I think I think it's fair to say that, that the factory entrance in in WEC now in this new sort of epoch of the of sports car racing, I think it's fair to call them factory factory entities, even though they do have these uh, branches or arms coming off them and and i think if you even if you go back to some of the uh some of the the heritage of endurance racing it was, it was pretty similar true factory outfits are um are quite rare you know mazda mazda won 1991 but orica were very much running the show there so th- there's many examples of, of of how that sort of that that um that committee of of different companies works in in endurance racing it's important to have those those variants of quote unquote works teams, and we are seeing that in Formula One now. I, I don't like. Um, I, I I think um, especially now we're at a point where we're hearing rumours of Alfa Romeo potentially moving from Sauber to another team in F1. I don't like such an extreme version of it as that, where it's just a labelling exercise because um, identity is such an important uh, element and. Glorified sponsorship deals are one thing, but when you just bounce around identity team to team, I think that's an issue. But when you look at the makeup of works teams in F1, they are very different. You Ferrari and um, Renault, where you have some, you know, an entity that is, uh, you know, in control of the organization, but also has, you know, proper on-site uh, elements of the the works team from the engine point of view or the the team point of view. 
I, I say Renault there, but then they have 50% of that enterprise is based in the UK. Aston Martin, again, a little bit like Mercedes, where you have a, a core element of the ownership is technically Aston Martin, but the, the production of the, the car itself has nothing to do with the, the, the automotive manufacturer and the engine is a is a customer arrangement. And in a few years will be Honda's works team, which is uh, potentially even more confusing. You, you, you see these opportunities where a manufacturer wants to engage in a championship. There has to be different ways into that championship, whether it's WEC with these regulations and the, the works teams finding different ways to operate as works teams or F1, whether it's the engine regulations and getting a manufacturer in as an engine supplier or just as a partner of an existing team. It's it's super important for the health of these series and the people competing in them that you they can't there is no one size fits all way to go about a works racing team anymore. Yeah, and I think it's it's worth noting, as far as I understand it, there is a technological crossover. So there's some uh, collaboration on the uh, on the hybrid side of the the prototype engine and the Formula One side. As I understand it, the hypercar project did use the old Formula One driver and loop simulator, which was the main Ferrari F1 simulator until quite recently. So there there is some sharing of facilities, even if, uh, from what I can make out, the the idea that loads of the personnel that Ferrari had to move off F1 because of the cost cap it wasn't quite as uh, as large a number as was initially made out. Are all my impressions there correct, Sam? That's what I've heard. Yeah, and and I think I think it 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 sort of tends to differ from country to country as well. I think in Germany, certainly a lot of the the manufacturers have difficulty with their employment laws and and when there are uh, variances in projects and there are um, financial controls, I think a lot of the the German factories uh, do have to reallocate resources to to other um, other disciplines and other projects. But yeah, I, I I don't I've never really heard or sensed the fact that there was a big a big shift of, of personnel to um, to the hypercar program. I think it was um, it was all apportioned um, um, pretty frugally, really. Yeah, and of course, very different areas of expertise. Although they're both high end motorsport prototype cars, effectively, there's great areas of speciality there, and obviously, you kind of cut your cloth according and use your resources in the best way possible. But Scott, we should say that obviously, historically, there was a time when it was said Ferrari was more focused on Le Mans than Grand Prix racing until the race happened in June. I mean, we are talking sort of 50, 60 years ago now, but there have been suggestions that this project might have distracted from F1, but do you think there's anything at all in that? Uh, I don't think so, based on, obviously, Sam was exp- has spent some time there explaining the I guess the separation almost of the 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 WEC enterprise and and what they're doing on the F1 side because there isn't that there isn't that fundamentally massive crossover. It's not like um, it's exactly the same resources. It's not like everything's been run in house. It's not like there's a f- really limited pool of financial resources that Ferrari's having to take away from the F1 team and give the F1 team less to to make Le Mans happen. So I I, I don't think. I don't think there's anything in that in the traditional sense. And it's interesting because I remember speaking to one uh, team boss in Formula One a couple of months ago about about the Ferrari job and where Ferrari's at now, what kind of challenge that is. And their suggestion was that to take on the Ferrari job now you ha- in F1, you had to accept that F1's not on a pedestal anymore within Ferrari because there's this much bigger... Um, strategy at play in terms of making making Ferrari uh, even bigger as an automotive manufacturer, expanding its reach, 
explaining more about what Ferrari's doing on the hybrid side on uh, with its uh, supercars and that Le Mans is a key part of that. And the suggestion, therefore, is that the Le Mans project would have absolutely equal footing within Ferrari as F1. Now, I personally, purely with my F1 hat on and the importance of F1 to Ferrari and the way that that project is run compared to how the Le Mans project is run, I can't believe that's actually the case in reality but I'd be interested to know what Sam thinks about that is is it possible is it realistic in any way to think that no disrespect to what Ferrari's doing at Le Mans no disrespect to the WEC whatever is it is it really realistic to think that that can be on equal footing with F1 I don't think so personally and I, and I don't sense that been been in the paddock I think Formula 1 especially in the last 4 or 5 years when it's escalated commercially and, and, and from the marketing aspect, I think that's probably had a, a say on it. Um, interestingly, John Elkan was, was there at the, the weekend and, and spent a great deal of time there. Charles Leclerc was there as, as well and was really engaged in it. Um, so it's, it's certainly important and there's certainly emphasis on it assisting what they're doing in the automotive industry um, at the moment and, and in the future. But I the formula the formula one aspect of of ferrari is um it, it's it's woven into its own mythology isn't it and i think that's part and parcel of the problem it's the expectation the mythology breeds the the expectation and then the expectation comes back to haunt ferrari time and time again apart from these clusters in in history when it um you know when it wins and interesting when when it does that it does it with what you would call pretty pragmatic and calculated administrations the de monte zamlo one and then particularly the the todd one and just circling back to the um the endurance element of course they got Jean Todd from from endurance racing from sports cars he came direct from Peugeot so there's there's an interesting theme there but going back to Scott's point no I, I don't I don't see I don't see that at all um and if it is it's a notional um parity I I, I just in reality Ferrari, when you dig down into it and you dig down into what the 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 Tifosi want as much as the um the the, the management and the, the people who are running the the entire Scuderia, that the, their emphasis is clearly on Formula One. Um but having said that, what if Ferrari then go into this new era now of sports car racing? It's a five year project and they start winning consistently and they start winning lots of pots and pans instead of just uh, this one that they've got on their return. If it becomes a true era, then that, that could change. It might change organically in that way. But at the moment, no, I, I, I don't sense that uh, there's any distraction um, from what you said there, Scott. The, the way I would see any element of parity would just be in their approach to it. You know, the Ferrari way to go about things is to to throw everything at it. They will make sure that they make every resource necessary available. They'll they'll apply things, they'll, they'll approach it technically and creatively in the way that they would apply it in F1. They're not going to they're not going to half-ass the Le Mans project just because F1 is the bigger fish or, or, or anything. I, I don't, In terms of specifically a distraction from F1, and I don't say this flippantly, I think the only way it's a distraction is in a slightly positive sense, in that for the first time in I can't remember how long, everyone's discussing a massive Ferrari triumph and celebrating them doing something brilliantly instead of this avalanche of what the last 18 months have been for Ferrari, if not longer, which is the focus on the underachievement. 
Well, we're, we're going to focus on that in the next part of the podcast, so we're not going to let them get away with that for much longer. But I think the final point on that thing about the priorities, the fact that they had to effectively outsource a lot of the manufacturing to Delara, the fact they're using the old F1 simulator, I think does confirm that these are kind of separate projects. It's very easy to philosophically say these are both just as important, but obviously like the whole production side of Gestione Sportiva at Ferrari is built around being optimised for Formula One. So certainly I think it's probably more a notional thing than a, a practical thing. Well, let's get on to Ferrari in Formula One, seeing as Scott, you quite eloquently pointed out that it was a, a change of tone for them. So we can get back to that. Are you seeing any signs of things changing long term for Ferrari? They had upgrades in Spain. They seemed happy with performance wise, but the race problems were still there. But there are at least perhaps some signs of it getting back on a direction that might at some point get them on terms with Red Bull eventually in a long time, perhaps, maybe, possibly. <laughs> do, do, do you think you could caveat that sentence anymore? <laughs> I think I lost faith in it the more it went on. <laughs> I understand that in your position as the MC, effectively, of this podcast, you have to try and adopt a, a neutral position there and maybe not go in with too leading a question. But um, the thing with the thing with what happened in, in Spain, for example, with the upgrades and, and everything we're hearing from Ferrari, whether it's management or drivers. There are sort of there are there are two sides to it. There's the there's the theoretical side which we've seen and heard all season, which is the the potential of the car, what we see in qualifying, the fact that it is the second fastest car in, in Formula One over the course of the season. There are these glimpses of raw performance that suggest that Ferrari is the only team and that might be the only car that could beat Red Bull on a given day, certainly on any given Saturday. The flip side of that is the reality you then get smashed in the face with by the end of the weekend, which is that Ferrari's had had just just the most demoralising Sunday you can imagine, which has gone backwards. It's struggled with tyre management or performance or both. And it tends to be a case of fighting gravity for, for Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz in, in the races. The, the silver lining from Spain which we talked about a little bit, is that the upgrades signal a change in development direction that Ferrari had held off committing to for so long and felt they didn't need. So that acceptance almost, that it did get it a little bit wrong, or a lot wrong, and needed to change direction quite significantly, is encouraging because it means that they're not just heading down this blind alley, they're not burying their heads in the sand and thinking that they know best and that they can do it this way, do it their way rather. So... That's where I see a tiny bit of encouragement. If there's any light at the end of the tunnel, it's there. But I think I think we're talking really long in, in the future. I, I don't see, unless there are circuits that really, really, really suit this car massively and we're yet to get go to them yet, I don't see how Ferrari convincingly establishes itself as the second best team in F1 this season, let alone really capitalises on any Red Bull slip, slip up, let alone beats Red Bull in a straight fight so yeah I know you caveated your question Ed but I'm gonna have to seriously caveat any potential for you know short to medium term significant progress well I guess if you want to look at the more positive side of things they have shifted direction but they did have a concept that was less dramatically different to the Red Bull than say the Mercedes was so you could argue that means that 
they don't have to have quite such a long period of change to get back on terms, but they still have things they need to do. They don't have the same platform control potential. Obviously, as we always say, the rear suspension changes are going to be next year things for people. So, yeah, it, it's nice when you see a car that's got the pace in it, but, but because they can show well in qualifying, but it doesn't have the the race pace, and that's been a pattern that has been there since the start of last year as well so it makes it very very difficult to see that changing dramatically allied with the fact that it takes ages to turn formula one teams around performance wise in that you can't just slam an upgrade package on and suddenly you're half a second eight tenths faster and everything's great it's such a long process now for these teams but I guess, Scott, we're just going to see a lot more this season, aren't we, of Ferrari running around and they just need to hope that on the days when Red Bull does drop the ball, which the law of averages suggests will happen sometime, but hasn't happened yet, they want that to be the day when they're ahead of, say, Mercedes and Aston Martin, which is far from a foregone conclusion with the way things have gone this year. Yeah, the the, the bit that concerns me most is just whether or not whether or not they, they do genuinely make progress with the consistency of the car and get to the bottom of why the car behaves so differently stint to stint. They they have claimed that the car with the upgrades did perform more consistently in the race in Spain, but that has to be a localised element of consistency, say, through a single stint, because we know that Leclerc had a totally different balance and feeling on one set of, of hard tyres, I think it was at the start of the race, and then in his final stint. And Carlos Sainz had a miserable second stint of the Grand Prix, but the other two stints were much more competitive. So I I still don't see a convincing or clear definition of what Ferrari thinks is consistency and, and where that's good or bad about its car. But what we have to what we have to say is that, you know, one race with the upgrades is not a sufficient sample set. We have to give them I think up until the summer break, I think that's a good enough run of races, a decent range of circuits, and see have they made much progress? Do they really understand this car? Do they understand the weaknesses? Are they starting to identify more fruitful avenues to make that car better? We 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 can't judge that definitively after one race. It's just it just that one race you kind of wanted to to come away from it with a slightly warmer and more fuzzy feeling that Ferrari had got on top of things. They're certainly consistently inconsistent. We can say that, that although the pattern of qualifying to race offset is quite consistent, there are days and weekends where you think they might have a chance, and other ones where they just don't. In Spain, they just didn't have a chance. They were nowhere near quick enough over race stints overall. So yeah, a, a big challenge for Ferrari to get back on terms there, especially with Mercedes coming on strong. But Sam, to bring you in, obviously, as we mentioned, you often appear on Bring Back V10s, which is our podcast that tells classic F1 stories. So you know your F1 history very well. And the story of Ferrari in F1 has often been one of underachievement, hasn't it? So do you just see what's happening now as the same old in that regard? Yeah, as somebody who is out of the paddock of Formula One, but actually loves Formula One, and, and, and I think we all have a soft spot for Ferrari, whether we care to admit it or not. Yeah, it it feels like uh, it feels like Ferrari are on this kind of pinwheel of negativity and it just comes around every so often and then goes into another trough and another peak and another trough. Um, this this is quite a trough, isn't it? I mean, it's now, I think, is it 15 years since they've won anything? 
Um, 2007 probably wasn't it? 2008 constructors. Okay. And, yeah, 2007 drivers. Yeah, so a long, a long time, um, and we've seen them come back. I think I just go back to what I said before. This, it is this kind of cycle of of mythology and, and negativity that gets into, seems to get into the organisation, and it just sort of festers away. I think, I think last year, watching it from afar, I, I, I can't recall another Formula One season where uh, there was a complete a capitulation. And I, you know, I've read some of Scott's great pieces and some of Mark Hughes's as well, which kind of. What about my great pieces as well? This is outrageous. <laughs> Sorry, Ed. <laughs> all of all of the good pieces on the hyphen dot race, <laughs> but but I, I specifically remember one that that Mark and, and Scott did, and it, it is giving um, it's giving context to particularly Mattia Binotto and and that season they had last year. But what I have to say is, looking at it from outside of the paddock. It, it just looked like uh, embarrassment after embarrassment for what the car that they had, or certainly had in the the, the sort of sh- the, the the first end of the season. Um, I, I I don't know where how they're going to fix it. You know, you'd think that Frederic Vasseur would be a, a great person to fix it, and he would build an axis with with Charles Leclerc, who obviously he's worked with before. Um, but we're not seeing particularly any signs of that, or, or I'm not seeing any signs of that at present. And I tend to think that Scott's right that actually short term, there's going to be a whole lot more pain. And then the question is almost a human resources one, isn't it? It's how do you keep the morale up? How do you keep the vision and the focus and the motivation going for better times ahead? And how long is Charles Leclerc, who's, you know, I personally think is is one of the real strong, the, the key assets that, at the team. How long is he going to stick around and, and see his, um, his career potentially fester so yeah there's there's some big decisions i think coming up um but again going back to the cycle thing they seem to have these more expansive cycles than than any other team and, and that's obviously you know they've got a richer history than other teams but how they stop that you know is is the million dollar question in a way and um i hope they can because i think it's a cliche but you know uh, Ferrari winning is healthy for Formula One. Um, we've seen that in the past, and hopefully, we see it again in the future. And I guess the big challenge, Scott, is making sure that amid this underachievement, this team is kept focused and working in the right way because it becomes very, very easy when there is pressure on an underachievement for politics to intervene, departments to blame each other, that kind of thing. And I guess that's Fred Vasseur's challenge, isn't it? To try and keep everything together and working in the right direction because if he can do that for long enough then Ferrari will get there because they've got great people they've got great resources they've got all the potential in the world but that's quite difficult to do I guess that probably does explain Vasseur's very positive and constructive public pronouncements on the situation that do sometimes seem a little bit disconnected with reality but that must be the focus for him mustn't it he's trying to avoid being seen to hang anyone out to dry in the team and keep it together to battle through this yeah I think I think he's protecting his workforce um I think there's been a little bit of a sign recently where he has he has reduced the intensity of that that defense in the face of all kind of logic and and, and fact so th- there have still been one or two moments where what he says doesn't seem to tally I remember his sort of justification of their strategy calls in Monaco for example just didn't think quite reflect how that race actually played out um, he, he's made it clear that they can't kid themselves into thinking that the car's much better than it is if it genuinely isn't that good um, 
he has talked about there needing to be changes, but just the being realistic, you're not going to have that rapid fire staff turnover that changes everything in a couple of months. And even when you do bring people in quicker or however long it takes to get them on board, that's going to take a long time to play out. Big changes aren't possible in season for logistical reasons, financial reasons, whatever. So I think Vasseur coming in over this winter meant that a lot of things was were locked in for 2023. So kind of has to put a brave face on it, doesn't he? Because this season's not of his making. And yeah, he controls how they react to it and deal with it. But you have to wait and see if Ferrari keep making the same mistakes if the car's got the same weaknesses next year if operationally it's not up to scratch before you can start to say you know Vasseur is not um, steering this ship in the right direction. Yeah and I guess the key thing is for Vasseur to try and keep everything together and there not to be great ructions and changes and politics and that kind of thing because he's what the fifth team principal in 10 or so years going back to Domenicardi being ousted in 2014 so they need to have some stability and some continuity to be able to actually realize some of that potential but of course that's not always the easiest thing to achieve in Ferrari we'll get back to the pod in a moment but first a word about our partner Grammarly no matter what kind of work you do how you communicate is key All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, Scott, let's get on to the drivers now, because there's been quite a lot of comments on social media contrasting Charles Leclerc's lack of success with the fat Ferrari reserve driver Antonio Giovinazzi won Le Mans, and even the fact his old Sauber F1 teammate Marcus Ericsson is now an Indy 500 winner. So is Ferrari wasting Leclerc's talent? Yeah, to, to, to a point, absolutely. It's, it's, similar to, it's similar to the years that Verstappen, Max Verstappen had to spend in Red Bull machinery where he was sniping for the odd victory, but not able to do anything more with that. And you you could have charitably put that down to just Mercedes dominating and it just being unlucky. But there was also an element there of Red Bull underachieving in those years. The difference is that Verstappen had faith in Red Bull that was basically built on, even if it didn't look like it massively to the outside, actual progress year on year. And there were... There, were, there was clear evidence of a bigger project being built there that was going to restore Red Bull to its title-winning glories from just before the, the V6 Turbo Hybrid era began. Leclerc claims to have that same faith in Ferrari, but the evidence for it is is wilting. And I, I, I can only assume he is having to convince himself that that it's worth believing in because I, I know he wants to win with Ferrari more than anything else. 
is so painfully obvious and that makes it harder to watch when Ferrari continues to let him down. So that that credit that Ferrari has in the bank with Leclerc will run out eventually um, because it can't just rely on sentiment keeping Leclerc in line. Sooner or later, he has to be selfish and, and do what's best for his career. The, the only thing I would say, because you, you mentioned that sort of comparison with now that Gio's a Le Mans winner and Ericsson's an Indy winner, like I, I'm super happy for those guys because they're really good people and they're good drivers. It doesn't change the fact that they did actually have a fair crack at it in F1 and didn't do enough of a, a a job to to merit more but it just shows that these drivers can go on and achieve great things if they get a great opportunity um it doesn't mean it's been handed to them it, but it also doesn't mean that that you know they were no hopers in f1 and suddenly they're just being made to look way better than than they are it's just it's not it's apples and oranges if you try and use them as a reference for how little leclerc has supposedly achieved in f1 i'm going to throw a wild one in here Charles Leclerc at Le Mans. He was at Le Mans last weekend. It does sound fanciful. I can tell you for sure, because I spoke to a couple of the the Ferrari um, people there, he was super engaged. He wasn't there just to, you know, glad hand some sponsors and just be seen on the TV. He went out to the Mulsan in the night for half an hour. So Leclerc was clearly at Le Mans because he was engaged in it. He enjoyed the experience. He was supporting Ferrari, yes, but what if these frustrations that we've been talking about manifest themselves in a similar way to Gio and, and Ericsson and what they've gone on to achieve? I mean, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he could do it. Practically, it's difficult. I mean, even if there isn't a clash next year or the year after, he's you know he's got to do the test day. He's got to do sufficient testing in the car. But Nico Hulkenberg did it in 2015. There is precedent for that. And I think it would be really interesting. I get the feeling that Leclerc is is one of these drivers who it's not all F1 in during the entirety of his career. I think he will go on to explore other avenues of, of motorsport and it'll be great to see him do that. It is a bit like Verstappen, isn't it? He's you 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 can almost say with near a hundred percent certainty that Verstappen will race at Le Mans. Um and he will probably race at Le Mans while he's well within his peak. I know uh, one of the things I like about um, sports car racing and especially the Le Mans challenge is it's a different skill set to more, I wouldn't say sprint racing, but obviously F1 racing Grand Prix are still longer distance. But I, I think it extends the peak of a driver, which is why it's so cool to see guys who are in their late 30s or even in their early 40s continue to have success in races like Le Mans because experience counts and being intelligent counts. Raw speed's still important, but um, I always find it interesting And when I watch Le Mans or, or follow Le Mans, the difference between a driver who goes out and does the qualifying lap isn't always the driver who then stars in the 3am stint in the middle of the race. So that that's, that's what's fun. It'd be great to see these drivers appear at, at Le Mans eventually I get the impression with Verstappen it's very much a postscript a post F1 thing with Leclerc especially if you know he wants to he'll want to go and do it with Ferrari because he has the option of doing that you said earlier Sam that this is a five-year project for now we don't know how flaky Ferrari is going to be it might be five years and then never again or not again for another half century so if Leclerc really wants to do it and he's lucky enough that it doesn't clash with a Grand Prix like it didn't this year, 
then who knows? I, I think it would be awesome if he buys into Ferrari properly and just goes, right, that's it. I, I, I'm here whether I win in F1 or not. And I, I just really hope I do. Maybe the reward for that will be a crack at Le Mans while he's at his peak. He could be the new Andrea Bertolini. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> That's what he'd be aspiring to be. It, it would be nice if it was set up so that F1 drivers could credibly do Le Mans. I know, obviously, there's a full grid of WEC drivers and drivers doing IMSA and that kind of thing who are committed full-time, so it's not just there to be a plaything for F1 drivers. But it'd be nice if not just the race, but also the test day, which is the weekend before, were ring-fenced so that if an F1 driver was to be of interest for a, a Le Mans entry, they could actually do it properly. It would still be pretty tough being wedged those two weeks in between two Grand Prix, but it'd be nice to give the chance to, wouldn't it? But yeah, ultimately, though, Leclerc wants success in, in Formula 1, doesn't it? doesn't he? And he's had enormous success already in Formula 1. He's won five Grand Prix, about 3,000 pole positions, admittedly, but uh, <laughs> that that's slightly questionable ratio. But it's not like he's having a complete disaster. But yeah, it'll be frustrating for him, won't it, though, to see that sort of success going on elsewhere in Ferrari when he can't seem to catch a break because so much has gone wrong for him this season. Well, to move on to a final point now, Sam, do you think the Le Mans success will put any more pressure on the F1 team? If we're asking why Ferrari can win there but not in F1, you can bet John Elkin is posing the same question and we all know what can happen when people at John Elkin's level start to stick their oar in to Formula 1 teams. I don't think initially, no. I think that we're talking about expectation again. There was no expectation that Ferrari was going to win this Le Mans. It was a fairy tale. I said it at the, the top of the show. It, it wasn't envisaged that it could beat Toyota. Yes, there was a helping hand with the BOP and everything came together for them. But again, revisiting what I said before, I think if this becomes a consistent era of success for Ferrari, then yes, the, the pressure will ramp up on the F1 team. I don't think I don't think there is a reason why it wouldn't. Um, Elkan was there at the weekend and I think, you know, he he always has this sort of face of um, surprise, doesn't he? He seems seems to always be surprised with what he's seeing at at races and I think it would have been a very positive surprise and a very pleasant one with what Ferrari achieved last weekend. The rub-off for the brand and what they're doing in automotive will be huge and I think from a pure business point of view Elkan will certainly come to a point where he's looking at that and thinking about the future of the Formula One team and what it might mean for for new iterations and new administrations within it and how they're going to try and make it successful again I think that's just a natural way of of getting the necessary experience of when you're winning because when you're not winning you lose the you lose the anticipation and the momentum and everything that goes with being successful so if they can do that in endurance racing then i think it it can influence what they're doing in a in a broader sense with formula 1 but i think that will only come if there is a true run of 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 victories and from what we're seeing and what they've achieved in their first year don't forget this is only their um their fourth race that they have achieved so far this year they've won Le Mans they've beaten Toyota who've won it for the previous five years then there's every possibility that they could be starting a really successful era and then it's going to be super interesting to see how that affects things in the boardroom and um and at the racetrack as well the only thing I'd I'd add to that is if there's anything for the likes of John Elkin to to take away from Ferrari's success at Le Mans it's more of a 
I don't know if it's cultural or philosophical, but look at what that project has been able to achieve. Yes, with a helping hand, we'll, we'll see what happens sort of in the medium term for it. But with a clearly um, a clearly defined structure, it doesn't have to be completely Ferrari. We talked about early on how it's this almost, you know, project by committee with, you know, good quality partners and good quality personnel just being left alone to get on with it. You know, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of this. Work well together. Let's have something that is equal or greater than the sum of its parts. That that has been the ethos there. Whereas how many times have, have we been on these podcasts or spoken about it amongst ourselves that Ferrari's F1 team seems to be meddled with at a top level more than any other organisation in F1. And that is not healthy. That is not conducive to success in general in sport or in Formula One, let alone in the modern era of Formula One. So I'm not saying Haas now needs to embrace the Haas F1 model, get Delara to build most of its car, focus only on the engine and outsource the running of the team to AF Corsa in Formula One or maybe get a single-seater expert like Prima to, to, to run the team. It doesn't have to be that aggressive. But just if, if you're picking people to run the project, just let them run the project. Don't interfere from above. Give them time. Give them space. And see if your investment pays off. By all means, then take action if there are cultural issues, if there are problems that set in over a longer period. But don't do anything knee-jerk. Don't meddle with the people you've only just appointed. The Le Mans project has succeeded in part because they picked excellent, excellent sports car personnel and trusted people within the Ferrari organisation who are clearly very good at their job to build the best car possible. That can happen in F1 as well. They just need to be left alone to do it. I think that's a very good message for John Elkin and also for the CEO, Benedetto Vigna as well, who I think was at Le Mans as well. I didn't see him, but I did hear a suggestion he was there. It would make sense for him to have been. There is one other interesting dimension for Ferrari as well, which is a broader point, in that I don't have the numbers to hand, but whenever you see Formula One surveys and that kind of thing, Ferrari's status as the cast iron most popular most famous team isn't quite what it once was because you often see teams like I don't know McLaren coming out very well so that there is a a need I think for Ferrari in Formula One to have some success stories and it's not just success stories but also the way they present themselves to the world through social media and that kind of thing that all needs to evolve to make sure that it retains its status I mean Sam do you see any loss of the luster of Ferrari in Formula One I know it's quite difficult because we're all of a well, I say we're all of a certain generation. Obviously, we've got a reasonable spread of ages, but it does seem to me that it's shifting a little bit in that if you want to say the new fans coming in, let's just say more the younger generation of fans, Ferrari maybe means something a little bit different. And that's something they need to be, I think, aware of because that impacts the commercial appeal of the team, etc. Yeah, I think generally that point reflects society um, itself, doesn't it? And I think the uh, generationally um the the mythology is sort of handed down in a way I, I, the only thing i'd say is that the one consistent element of ferrari that i've seen at le mans in the past few seasons was on the back of the the ford versus ferrari film and i think that's quite interesting in the sense that the the, the mythology that was passed almost um, by word of mouth through previous generations is now done through the media i think if they if they protect that and they um, sort of exacerbate that kind of um, narrative, it's 
it's good in one sense in that it keeps the consistency of the brand at the forefront of people's minds and, and popularity. The other thing is that actually it can be it can be sort of counter counterintuitively negative as well and put more pressure on Ferrari um, because as we know it's I think it's it's a, it's an exception more than other brands because it's so although for a global brand it's so centralized and localized within within Italy where you've got this sort of huge um, this huge sort of pot of pressure which comes from Ferrari winning or losing and um whether or not the brand influences that and and vice versa, I don't know. But I I sense that actually, you know, the whole sort of title of this this podcast, in a sense, is to look at whether Ferrari's let's call them extracurricular activities above and beyond Formula One is is a good thing. And coming back from Le Mans and seeing how it was received, I think it is. And I think the F one element needs to understand that, and it needs to pull the positivity out of that how it does that you know i don't know but certainly it has to because i think success can help breed success i mean it's a, it's a throwaway line but i think that culture of winning which ferrari has been so inconsistent with in the last few years um even through a a, a completely separate entity as the endurance uh, team and setup is it can only be a good thing for ferrari so yeah i think i think the brand is is one of those brands that will survive all um but it doesn't mean that it won't metamorphose into something different. And I, and I see that, um, having, having been a Ferrari fan since the age of, of seven and, and loving what they do in formula one, I, I see it changing. And I, you know, I don't feel the same way about Ferrari as I did when I was, when I was sort of between seven and 16 years of age, but that's a, probably more of a natural thing of just growing up a little bit and understanding the way the world works. But certainly the, um, I think the, the fan who is, engaged at the racetracks will will always um will always have the mythology around ferrari and, and feed off it irrespective of what they do on the track yeah and in that respect the ferrari le mans success surely will only add to that so that's a positive thing from that perspective but ultimately we just want to see ferrari up there as far as i'm concerned the more teams that are up there fighting at the front the better and right now we've only got one team up there fighting at the front and ferrari is one of the ones that should be along with mercedes i would argue this year up there Aston Martin we can give a little bit more time to get to that level because they're still building up but that's the reason almost for this whole conversation Ferrari should be up there and hopefully will be because although there has been that cycle of underachievement it's it's quite a boring story that constantly happening we want to see the more drivers up there the more teams up there battling it out the better and that will be good for Charles Leclerc and for all the other top drivers because that's where legends are built with the head-to-head battle. So that's something we can hope for, but probably not in the immediate future. Well, thanks very much to Sam and Scott for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Plenty to read there. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, Formula E, IndyCar, MotoGP, loads to listen to, and also have a look at our YouTube channel. We're now turning our attention to the race in Montreal, which is where I'm recording from right now. So stay with us for everything you need to know from the Canadian Grand Prix. The Athletic.